nothing left that can separate us from his love. It proves that sin cannot win. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter how dark your past is, it proves that your future is bright. It proves that God has made a way. It proves that you can be free. You can live and become the person you've always dreamed of. That's what this resurrection means. It's not just a religious act. It's not just something we read about in the Bible. It's a reality that proves something. It's a forerunner of us becoming sons and daughters of the Most High God, of us being introduced into a new family, of us having a new identity, of us living under a new authority. This is the resurrection. Amen, and this isn't even my sermon. Lord, we are just so grateful to you for what you've done, Lord. Lord God, if we could just sit in this moment forever, Lord God, the revelation of your victory. Lord, come. Lord, come. Lord God, today I ask that not one person would leave here with a misunderstanding of who they are in you, of a, a lack of clarity of what you've done on the cross, Lord God. Father, Father, everything, everything that you did, we want to live it. We want to live it. We want our lives to count. Lord God, we want our voices to be heard. We want the freedom that you bought for us to be evident in every area. We want relationships that are full and whole and righteous and good. We want families that are alive and growing and filled with your presence, Lord God. We want work that is significant and transformatory of our environment, Lord God. We want conversations that lead people to Christ. We want... We want a mantle and authority on us that influence systems towards righteousness. Father, as I preach today, as we listen to the word, let it be so. Let it be so, Lord God. Nothing left out, nothing missing. The fullness of your kingdom manifested in us, Lord God. And Father God, we now, can we just make this commitment? I know you don't know what it is, but I'm about to say it. If you agree with it, just say amen in your heart. Lord God, right now, we, we just commit ourselves to not being the same when we leave here. Lord God, we, we want to learn something and we want to be closer to you when we leave, Lord God. We want to be different and Lord God, we ask that as we break open the word today that you would do that for us and we stand ready to be changed. Thank you, Lord. Amen and amen and amen. We are carrying on with eyewitness news and this has kind of been Peter's understanding and experience of Jesus as he walked with Jesus over the three years that he ministered on earth and as he stood and went through the agony of the cross, saw Jesus at his trial, denied him, felt the shame of that, and then was restored by Jesus and, and stood to be the pillar of the church in the next age as Jesus was resurrected before him. So because this is Resurrection Sunday, we obviously want to talk about resurrection. We want to talk about what Jesus' resurrection means. And if you have your Bibles, we are going to be spending time in John 20, 16 to 23. And I've entitled the sermon, Made New. Made New, because as I was thinking about this, I want you to just imagine what it was like to be a disciple on that day that Jesus was crucified. 
Everything you had dreamed about, everything you had imagined, all your leadership aspirations. Here's this man, he called you out of obscurity. He called you out of jobs that were despised and he put you in a place where you were suddenly esteemed by the people in your community. You've got prestige, significance, you going somewhere, you seeing miracles. You never have to worry about packing lunch because some little boy will give you his fish and loaves and it'll become everything you could imagine. You know, just everywhere. Stuff happening. It's, you know, it's stirring up in you an expectation. You've grown up in Israel. And in Israel, there's this, this story, this narrative that you've heard from when you could were so small that you could just start to understand words. You've, you've heard the story that Israel has been speaking, that one day God will come and he will restore our land. He will give us back our nation. And here you are with Jesus and he's clearly the Messiah and he's clearly the one who's come to fulfill the promises God made to Israel. And you're standing there so expectant. The miracles are growing. He walks into Jerusalem. People are throwing down their cloaks, throwing down palm branches before him. And all you can think is, we've done it. The victory's here. The fact that he was on a donkey might have been a little bit of a hardship. You know, you wanted him on a, a mighty charging steed, but nonetheless, you, you know, you're confident that something's going to happen. And then you're Peter, and you're standing in the Garden of Gethsemane, and soldiers come for Jesus. Jesus has just told you that you should carry a sword, that there's danger on the way. And as these men come to take Jesus, what do you do? It's like, no, this can't be, this can't be. You take out your sword and you go after the, the man and slice off his ear. And instead of Jesus saying, well done, thank you for defending me, Jesus tells him, no, those who live by the sword will die by the sword. Put it away. And he heals the man's ear. And he goes willingly to his trial. And at his trial, he will not defend himself. And you're standing there and all your hopes, you know, are just, it's like they're they, they falling away like water through a sieve. And it's like you're trying to hold on and you're trying to defend and you're trying to help and just nothing's working. Everything's just disappearing like water into cobblestones. And then you hear a report. The tomb, the tomb is empty. The tomb is empty. And in John 20, I'm not going to read it to you, but you can go and read it yourself. There's this fun, fun story. It talks about Peter and John, who appear to be a little bit of rivals. And it talks about how Peter and John, this was written by John, so clearly it makes him look the better person. Peter and John go running towards the tomb, and John is so quick to say, and I got there first. I mean, they're like, what could this be? Is this possible? They find the empty tomb. They go away puzzled. But the woman who's brought them there, Mary Magdalene, she kind of hangs around a little bit. 
And this is where we start our story. She sees the gardener. She goes up to him and she says, where have you laid his body? You know, I think this is so significant because all of the disciples, you know, resurrection wasn't even in their bubble. They were just like, someone's taken the body. What's happened? And then when Jesus appears to her, she can't even recognize him because her mind is in such other places. But Jesus says to her, Mary. And you know, with one word, the tone of his voice just reaches deep into her heart. And suddenly her eyes are opened and she sees, this is no gardener. This is the man on whom all my dreams rested. This is the hope of Israel. And he's standing here alive before me. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me. Do not hang on to me. I've got stuff to do. For I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that he had said these things to her. The disciples on hearing that do the very brave thing of locking themselves in a room. It carries on and says, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord, I bet. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Cowering in a room, terrified, terrified, going from these courageous men that were defending Jesus to this shivering group of people terrified that the fate that has happened to Jesus will happen to them. Behind locked doors. Jesus steps past all their fears, steps through all their barriers, steps past all their protective mechanisms and steps into the room. And what I love about this is that God's love is so great that there is not a barrier that you will ever put up before him that he will not break down. And you know what I, you know, I just, I, I want to think back to times when my children, you know, have been resistant to my love or resistant to my correction. And you know, I want to say this as a mom. I would do anything, anything to break down those walls. Literally, Karen can tell you this if you ever get to... <laughs> Sorry, guys. 
<laughs> Mike has just been great. It's John 20, not John 10, just so you know. That's a typo there. So it's John 20. If you were looking in your Bible and saying, what on earth is she talking about? Where is she? John 10 is all about sheep and lamb and shepherds and all other kinds of things. It's John 20. Now, I was in a deep moment there. I was in a deep moment. <laughs> Karen. <laughs> I remember this one time she was being a normal teenager and misbehaving in ways and I remember sitting with her in the lounge and she, she said to me, but mom, you just don't understand. And you know what? I looked her straight in the eye and I said, Karen, we will sit here in the lounge until I do understand. If we have to sit here for the next six months, we are staying here until we get this right. We are staying here until you can tell me so that I understand. I will stay here until I've twisted my brain and my thoughts to the place that I get it. We will stay here until our relationship is restored. We will not leave this room until it's right. And I feel like that's what Jesus was doing. He was like, your fears, your insecurities, I'm stepping, I'm blasting through them. I am coming and we will work this out until you see for yourselves who I really am. Until you look with the right eyes. Until those eyes that you see me with reflected in them, you see yourselves and you say, we with you are resurrected. We died uh, in sin with you and we are resurrected in newness of life and righteousness. We are new people. You're a, you're a resurrected king. We are new people and this is a new world. So the first thing when I look at this passage of scripture is that I understand that in all of his communications when Jesus was risen again, he was implying this new family, this new community. He said to Mary when he met her, he says, go to my brothers. Do you know this is the first time he ever called them brothers? Because they couldn't be brothers before that. They couldn't rise to be peers with him. They couldn't rise to be in the same league as him. They couldn't rise to that because why? They were bound in sin. It was his cross, the death that he paid, the price that he paid for us, that elevates us. It elevates us. And now, now he can look you in the eye and say, sister, brother. And you know what? You say to me, I don't deserve that. And it's true. It's true, we don't. But the beauty of it is, he does deserve that. He deserves that every man, woman, and child would be available in relationship to him. The deepest desire of his heart is that we would be brothers and sisters with him, that he would have a family and we would be it. So he says, go to my brothers. And then he says, I am ascending to my father. Now he's called God his father right from the beginning, nonstop. He was introducing God his father the whole time he was on earth. But this, this is something new. He doesn't just say my father. He says, I'm ascending to my father and your father. 
There's a radical change. Because the only time he talked about people's fathers before that, he was speaking to the Pharisees, and he didn't, he implied very strongly that it wasn't God who was their father. He implied very strongly, if not outright saying it, that the devil was their father. That they, they, us, we have had aligned ourselves, that we have, we have run after things and ways of doing things that have aligned us with the devil. And as a result, the devil is holding us in bondage. But Jesus came, paid the price to set us free so that our allegiance could turn, so that God could be a father to us. I'm not sure if you've ever thought about what it would be to be a monarch in a European country. What if you had been born to the Queen of England? No, no, really, really. My son has just returned from Italy, ask him for his pictures. I mean, of the, the palaces, of the royal residences. I mean, just the gold in the ceilings could pay for you and the next 20 generations worth of education. You understand what I'm saying? It's just like, it's like mind-blowing. I mean, what if you were born a royal? What if? I mean, I wonder if Prince Andrew, Prince Edward, if any of those princes ever wake up in the morning and think, I wonder where I'm going to get breakfast today. You know, I wonder if they ever, you know, wonder how they're going to get transport to one of their meetings. I wonder if there's ever any fear in their minds about, will I make it through the day? Will I be good enough? I mean, honestly, in your heart, do you think they ever have those questions? I don't think they do. I mean, they're on top of the pile. But in one fell swoop, Jesus was putting us there. I, I want you to see this. I want you to see this. In one moment, he was saying, guys, welcome to the family. Come on in. Sit down at this 25-course meal just for breakfast. And you say to me, you don't know my life. I want to propose this to you. That God has indeed elevated us to that point. But our place right now is to believe it to reach into it and bring it into reality. And I want to propose to you that the way we live, the way we relate to people, the way we think of ourselves dramatically changes if we're Jesus' brothers and sisters and if God is our Father. Family creates identity. Ephesians 3 
talks about the fact that he talks about something really great which is going to come to my mind in a minute. <laughs> Thank you. That's what it says. <laughs> it says that every family in heaven and on earth is named and called to being by our Father in heaven. You know what is really, really interesting is that in my home, we Gosmans, believe it or not. And if one of my children had to sit up one day and say, I hate science, we would all say, what? You couldn't be a Gosman because all Gosmans love science. I mean, if you sit at our dinner table, you need to bring a science dictionary with you because it's just what we talk about, the latest innovation, what people have worked out, what's been discovered, what the latest research is on this, that, and that. It's just, it's just like pumping through Gosman blood. If you're a Gosman, you're an entrepreneur. My sons have started and run two successful companies and they're not even 30. Why? Because that's what we do. We're Gosmans. And I want to propose this to you. That family gives identity. That family calls out purpose. That, that who your family is makes you who you are. And I want to propose to you that our dad, our dad owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Our dad is busy in the business of bringing his kingdom on earth, transforming nations to look like him, restoring families to look like his families, elevating people from places of bondage and heartache and pain to be sons and daughters. And if we are his, that's who we are. We are ones that do that. What do we talk about around the dinner table? We talk about the glory of God and what he's doing on the earth, the family business. Jeremiah 29, 11, I got that one. It says, I know the plans that I have for you to give you a future and a hope. Do you understand that when he said that to Israel, they were slaves in a foreign land. And he was speaking to them and saying, do not let your circumstances determine your identity for I am your father. I know the plans I have for you. Look past the environment around you and see my plans for you. Live victorious even in these circumstances. Do you know that the Jewish people have been the most persecuted nation in the history of the world? And do you know this? They are the wealthiest and most successful. More, more um, Nobel Peace Prizes, no, more Nobel Prizes. And I realize some of you don't know what that is. But it's like the most prestigious prizes you can win in the world have been won by Jewish people than anyone else. What is this? It's that they took this verse seriously. Because we, they really believe we're God's children. Therefore, no matter what you do to me, no matter what you surround me with, I have a future and a hope. Yes. Some centuries back in Europe, the 
the governments were trying to wipe out the Jewish people and they said this to them, you may no longer own land. Because they were being very successful landowners. They said, you can't own any land. And they took all the land away from the Jewish people. So you know what the Jews did? They became bankers. <laughs> because they said, I don't care what you do to me. I know that I have a father in heaven who has a future and a hope for me. Take one source of revenue away from me, I will find the other. I will build it and I will make it and God will bless it and we will prosper because I have a future and a hope. It does not matter how good or bad your government is. We live under the leadership of an almighty glorious king and we are his sons and daughters and he has a future and a hope for us and that gives us an identity and that gives us a purpose and that means no matter where we are, we mold our world to look like that. Yeah, give the Lord a hand. It's so glorious and it's so true. And the resurrection proves it. Family creates security. I love that Jesus just walked through the walls. I just love that. It's like, it's like he's saying, fear, no fear, I'm in charge. And family brings securities because dad's home. I don't know what kind of father you had, but I know this for sure, that when I was young, if I went to my dad and, he's, and I said to him, dad, they're teasing me at school. I'm telling you this, my dad would have smiled quietly. He would have said, you sit down here, care. I would have heard him go get the car keys. I would have heard him drive away. And I would have known he was going to that school. He would have been knocking on the headmaster's door. He would be sitting in front of him and saying, excuse me. Don't ever let that happen to my daughter again. Because we have a dad who's home. We have a dad who's real. We have a dad who takes care of his children. How many times, as I'm standing here preaching to you, let me tell you this very quick story. Is many years ago, I never used to preach. I talked a lot, but I never used to preach. <laughs> I didn't really talk that much. But one day my husband was due to preach and he wasn't feeling well. And I had been reading the Bible and God had been telling me things. And so he was like, oh, I don't know how I'm going to make it. I said, I'll do it. So he said, fine. So I stood up that Sunday and I preached a message. I thought it was great. I don't know what anyone else thought about it. But some people didn't like the fact that I did that. And one particular person said this. He didn't say it to me, he said it to Andrew. He said, Carol can't preach because she doesn't have the mantle for it. So I don't know, maybe you still agree with him, but anyway, that's <laughs> your, but just keep it to yourself if you do. But I remember when Andrew mentioned it to me, I, I was devastated, but I heard God say this. I heard this God, God say this in my heart. I'm your dad. I'll defend you. Don't do anything. I got this one. 
three, four year, years later, we were in Namibia and I'm having to preach for various reasons and preaching and this particular man visits our church. And after the service, he comes to me. These are his exact words. He comes to me. Please, will you come back to Johannesburg? Because the mantle, exact words, the mantle that you are carrying for preaching, we need it. Guys, can we just give the Lord a hand? Because we have a dad. No, no, we have a dad. I want you to understand this. And it's not about me. Please just forget about that. It was me in that story. But I had to tell you it was me because so you know it was real. But we have a dad. We have a dad. And we can be secure. That no matter what comes our way, he's going to defend us. He's going to make it right. He's going to make a way for us. We have a new family, a very famous Anglican preach by, priest by the name of N.T. Wright said this, the church is the single multi-ethnic family promised by the creator God to Abraham. It was brought into being through Israel's Messiah, Jesus. It was energized by God's spirit and it was called to bring the transformative news of God's rescuing justice to the whole creation. When they talked about love, the main thing they meant was living as a single family, a mutually supporting community. The church must never forget that calling. We're a family. And we love God, are loved by God, and love and support one another. The next thing that I see from this story is a new authority it says there and when he had said this he breathed on them and said to them receive the holy spirit if you forgive the sins of any they are forgiven them if you withhold forgiveness from any it is withheld i don't know i choke every time i read that no really i do i mean if if you take that at face value that's pretty hectic that means that person at work that you are angry with and feeling like I wish they would get a demotion and just something bad would happen to them. It means that your thoughts and your words are actually having an effect on that person. I know none of you do that, but imagine perhaps that one day you had those kind of feelings. I mean, every time I read that, it's just like I go gulp with a capital G. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. Do you remember some weeks back we spoke about Peter's encounter with Jesus at Caesarea Philippi when he asked him, who do you say I am? And then after Peter had that encounter, Jesus then said, talking about the church, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And he said, and I will give you do you remember this? I will give you the keys of my kingdom. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Literally, when you read the original language, it means whatever has been bound in heaven, you will bind on earth. Whatever has already been bound, I mean, loosed on, in heaven, you will loose on earth. Or what you loose on earth will already have been loosed. In other words, what all of this is saying is that Jesus' resurrection gives us authority by virtue of the family we are now in to bring all of God's rule, reign, and values to earth. You literally, wherever you are, you hold keys to open the door for God's kingdom in that place or not.
In other words, you are the door through which God's kingdom will invade your environment. Don't raise your hands. How many of you are dissatisfied with your work environment? Like I said, don't raise your hands. <laughs> I don't want to be hit by the rush. How many of you are dissatisfied, again, don't raise your hands, with the environment in your family? How many of you are dissatisfied with the environment in your marriage? I want to propose to you that Jesus gave you authority to change it. That you are the doorway through which he wants to come in that environment. Your heart, your understanding, your attitude has the power to change that environment. I was speaking to a pastor one day and he, this pastor was talking about how difficult it was in the churches, church world that he worked in because everyone was just trying to build their own churches and weren't being um, supportive of one another. And it was like this kind of competitive environment. And he said one day, God just said to him, woke him up and said, well, you change it then. He was complaining to God, which I don't know if you ever do, but I do it sometimes. He was complaining to God and God said, well, you change it then. And he said, what do you mean? He said, go and donate a huge sum of money to that other church who's your competitor. And he did. And how do you compete with someone who's just given you millions of dollars? You know, how? How, <laughs> how, do, you, how do you think bad thoughts about the pastor down the road who's just built your auditorium? <laughs> and you don't have millions of dollars to give to someone, I imagine, but you do have something. And you hold the keys to transforming your environment. You have more authority than you ever imagined. More authority than you ever imagined. Many people are living in bondage and guilt from which they have already been freed. They just don't know it. The Holy Spirit in us gives us authority to demonstrate that freedom to them so that they can choose to accept it. We do this through the testimony of Jesus, good deeds, and miracles. I've long thought about it this way, is that when Jesus died on the cross and was resurrected, in essence, he unlocked the keys of the cage of bondage that we lived in. And he didn't just unlock it for you, he unlocked it for every single person throughout all eternity. The thing is, if you're sitting in a cage and the gate is unlocked and you don't know the gate is unlocked and you continue to sit in the cage, the gate may as well be locked. And there are so many people in our environments that don't know what Jesus has done for them. They don't know that they don't have to live in bitterness. They don't know that they don't have to live in abusive relationships. They don't know that they don't have to live in addictions. They don't know that they don't have to live with lust and anger and problems. They don't know that they don't have to live in poverty anymore. They don't know that. And therefore they sit dutifully in their cages with the door wide open, unwilling to move. And part of the authority we carry is to come to them and declare, the gate's open, the price has been paid. Come on out, come and live this freedom I'm living. The joy and the life that I have, you can have too. Another thing that I think about in this regard is that, you know what, 
Jesus in an instant set us free through the cross. But he set someone else free. He set the Holy Spirit free. Do you know that up to that point, the Holy Spirit could not be poured out on this earth? Because the holiness of his presence would have destroyed us because of the sinfulness of our hearts. So God held himself back from the very thing he wanted to do, which was to love us. But Jesus' death on the cross made a way that the Holy Spirit could come. Why? Because now your heart is covered and protected by the blood of Jesus. And he can love you to his heart's content. The last thing is that we get a new message. Jesus tells Mary to go and tell the disciples that he's risen. And I guess in my mind, this message that we carry is so much more than just repent and believe in Jesus Christ, which is a good message. But it's that, those dreams of yours that died, they're resurrected. Jesus made a way for you to live the very thing you've always desired, to be the kind of person you've always wanted. Our message is about adjusted direction. You don't have to head down that path of destruction anymore. That a new way has been made for you. That our message is about a new beginning. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter how bad your past, no matter how much shame you feel. There is a new beginning now for you. You can leave that all behind. It can all be washed away. You can stand up and start again. We have a new message for the city of Joburg. And as I was praying, I felt like this is the message that we carry for our city. We are redrawing the map of Johannesburg. As a multicultural army, we are diffusing the reality of Christ into every home, into every home, business, and street. We are snatching people from a lifeless eternity, resuscitating dead hearts, and purifying society's decay. Resisting division, we defy racial barriers, releasing thousands of Christ-like warriors of every tribe and tongue to create a tide of righteous living that sweeps tens of thousands of at-risk children, teenagers, and adults into safety. Reversing the self-destructive timeline of family breakdown, we mend society and usher in a dawn of joyful productivity in our businesses and homes, which in turn generates the resources to build our dreams. With joyous intentionality, we are constructing a community in which we lead our neighbors in a procession of growth. In turn, they join us in unleashing Christ's power to transform lives, community, and society to the blueprint of heaven. Because of Jesus' resurrection, we are part of a new community in which we have authority for miracles. As we bring the message of new life, and we have authority for miracles as we bring the message of new life, new future, new possibilities, new life. Amen. Lord Jesus, Lord, Lord we're so grateful. And Lord, although we've heard a lot of information, Lord God, I, I ask that for each one, you would, you would remind them of the particular things that they need to know. Lord God, separate us to the work you have, Lord God. Separate us from that which is keeping us from the fullness of 
the life you have for us, Lord God, in places where there's fear, anxiety, shame, hopelessness, Lord God, would you invade that with the revelation of who you are? Thank you, Lord. 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 Church, I just, I feel like I want to reiterate a call Sammy made right at the beginning of the service where she talked about places that we need resurrection life. And I know there are places in my life that I need resurrection life, places where the dream has grown cold, where I have lost sight of the plan, where I feel like I'm just working hard to make things happen instead of partnering with the Holy Spirit to see just life and blessing come. The places where I feel anxiety or stress. And I feel God wants to touch those areas of our lives. And I'm going to ask you, if you have an area like that in your life and you, you want the resurrection power of God in that area, I'm going to ask you if you wouldn't mind just raising your hand. So as I pray that I can pray for you. If there's just any area that you feel like you, you need the revelation of what we've just talked about, you need it there. Lord Jesus, I ask for every person who's raised their hand, Lord God. Father God, I don't want this to just be nice talking. Lord God, come in power. Lord God, we just appropriate right now the risen King. We just declare that the price was paid for this area. Lord God, we just declare that every shame, every bondage, every fear, every hopelessness must go. And we just speak into that area joy, wisdom, life, the knowledge of Christ, the knowledge of truth into that area. We just speak to that area and we say, come alive. I speak to those dreams and I say, come alive. I speak to those relational discords and I say, be healed. I speak to those bodies in pain and I say, be healed in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Ha! 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 Thank you, Lord. Lord, I stand in the authority of the cross and I just declare no barrier, Lord God. No barrier, Lord. You step through that locked door, Lord God. You're stepping into these areas. Thank you, Lord, for dreams, revelation, miracles in these areas, Lord God. Thank you, Father God, in these areas, Lord God. They are going to see transformation they never dreamed of. I want to say to their souls, you're thinking too small. I want to say, lift up your eyes. There's more, there's more, there's more. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. If you, if you feel like God is going to do something in that area, can you give the Lord a hand? Can you, can you just celebrate in advance His victory? Lord God, we do. We celebrate that. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And as we close, Lord Jesus, I want to ask that if there's anyone here and Lord God, they're far from you. I ask that right now you would speak to them and you would remind them that you're stepping past their walls, past their locked doors. You're stepping into their life, Lord God. You're breathing onto them. And Lord God, I ask that they would, they would feel your presence right now. Lord God, I ask for grace right now for them to leave behind everything of the past and to step into something new. Lord God, give them the faith 
Lord God, that you have this one, that you have a future and a hope for them that is so beautiful, so glorious, that it cannot even compare with some of the things they suspect they will need to give up. And I wanna ask if that's you and you know the Holy Spirit is, is speaking to you and you, you want to, you want to make Jesus Lord of your life. You want Him to be in charge and you want to surrender your life to Him. And if that's you, I'm going to ask you if you wouldn't mind just raising your hand so that I can pray for you. Is there anyone here who would like to do that? You know you want to start new. And you're saying, God, let this be the start of something different. Is there anyone here who would like to do that? Lord, have one more hand.